Thank you, Pastor DJ, and thank you. My goodness. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Uh, hopefully you're doing well. Uh, it was so, so good to have you here. And not only are you here, summer is here, right? It is hot up in here. It is hot. Um, you know, uh, here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, we endure months of wind and rain and clouds to experience a few months of beautiful heavenly summer. But I think we may have prayed too well. I think our prayers may have worked a little too good because um, it is hot. I love the sun. Not sure what to think about the heat, uh, but we'll hopefully it'll cool down a little bit and it will get back to Seattle. But it is so good to have you here. Uh, I'm praying this summer that you and your family experiences an incredible summer, uh, that you have an amazing summer uh, together. Uh, that you find moments where you can unwind and unhitch from the craziness of life, Uh, that this summer you find spaces and places where you can relax and rejuvenate, because it's been quite a year, right? I mean, if you look back, wow, it's been quite a year. And sometimes the most spiritual thing you can ever do is rest. It's true. You should read the Bible. It's a great book. Uh, Sometimes the most spiritual thing you could ever do is rest. And I just hope you find moments where you can rest, where you can rejuvenate, where you can take a deep breath in and then let it out. And uh, you just have some great moments with your family. Uh, We're excited here at Church for All for summer. Uh, We have all kinds of things going on. We have more or less an action-packed summer Uh, We have barbecues, get-togethers, a woman's meetup, a men's get-together. We have youth camp, junior high camp, senior high camp, one-day kids camp. As Pastor DJ mentioned, we have the Summer 15, where we're just challenging everyone to spend 15 minutes with Jesus. We are excited about this summer. Listen, this is the first summer at CFA. Right on. This is the first summer as we're a little bit like heat stroked, right? We're a little bit like, ah, but wake up a little bit. Um, but this is our first summer here at CFA, and we're excited about it. It's going to be an incredible, incredible summer. I believe it's going to be a memorable summer. Uh, God's going to do work, and we're going to have a whole lot of fun in the process. Uh, well, uh, if you're new here, if you're here for the first time, I just want to welcome you. So, so, so glad to have you at CFA. Uh, CFA is a family, and we like to say welcome home. Uh, Welcome to the family. We're glad you're with us today. And we have been in a series entitled A Church for Blank. A Church for Blank. And each weekend, we've been filling in that blank. This weekend, I want to add another message, share another thought, fill in another blank as we talk about walking. A Church for Walking. Some of you are like, what? What the Fitbit? What do you mean walking? Just give me a minute. Give me a moment. It will all make sense. All right? A church for walking. And to kind of unpackage this, to unwrap this, I want to take a peek at the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus these words. He says, therefore, come on, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, find out what it's there for. Therefore, be imitators of God. Say imitators of God. As beloved children, and there it is, walk in love. We are a church for walking, walking 
in love. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant or sweet aroma. Would you stand up with me? Let's pray. I'll share a couple thoughts and then we'll get you out to eat some ice cream. All right. Good deal. Jesus, we just thank you uh, for these brief, short moments we have together. And we pray that you'd come and speak to us by your word, about your word, and through your word. We thank you that your presence is here. And where your presence is, there is freedom, there is liberty, and there is love. Your word declares God is love. Love is not something you do. Love is somebody you are. And we pray we'd experience your love today. We'd experience your grace today. We'd experience your hope today. And we thank you for what you want to do in our lives. We receive it. And we thank you especially for air conditioning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and sit down. Well, the book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the New Testament unarguably one of my favorite letters written by the Apostle Paul. And perhaps unbeknownst to you, but the Apostle Paul is responsible for writing almost one-third of the New Testament. Uh, 28% to be exact, but, you know, who's really counting? Paul, or the Apostle Paul, is responsible for most of what we know about New Testament theology. Uh, Paul is responsible for most of what we know about New Testament doctrine. Uh, Paul is responsible for most of what we know about the fundamentals and foundations uh, of New Testament faith. Uh, To sum it up short and quick, Paul was a bad man. He was the man. Someone say the man. Got to wake you all up a little bit. 11 o'clock, a little bit tired. Paul was the man. Uh, In fact, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians from prison. He did. Ephesians is one of Paul's four prison epistles. You have Ephesians. Philippians, uh, Colossians, and Philemon, and Paul puts pen to paper and writes these letters locked in a prison cell, incarcerated behind bars for preaching the gospel. Now, why is this important? Because context matters. Context is important, and it is important to know that Paul didn't write these letters just sitting on some beach in Maui, but that sounds really good right now, doesn't it? Paul doesn't write these letters sitting in some tropical paradise in the Caribbean. Paul writes these letters from prison. And Paul writes thoughts in these epistles like, we have peace in God that surpasses all understanding. And we can find joy in the Lord at all times. And we can have hope in Jesus in all situations. And he writes those thoughts from prison for preaching the gospel. And if Paul could find joy, if Paul could find hope, if Paul can find peace incarcerated in a prison cell for preaching the gospel, I think it's evidence that you and I can find hope. You and I can find joy. You and I can find peace facing the day-to-day battles that we face in this life. Amen? The church in Ephesus was near and dear to Paul's heart, and we know this because he visited there two times. Uh, The first time was on his second missionary journey when he was with Silas. The second time was on his third missionary journey. Only this time, he spent three years in Ephesus. Three years. Three years preaching and teaching. Three years encouraging and exhorting. Three years challenging and uplifting the church in Ephesus. Why? They were near and dear to the heart of Paul. And while the overwhelming majority of Paul's epistles are written for the express purpose of correction, the book of Ephesians is different. It's a bit of an outlier. 
as this book was written primarily for encouragement. Ephesians is known as the book of exhortation. But what I love about the book of Ephesians is you could almost take this book and divide it perfectly into two equal parts, two equal sections. There's almost perfect symmetry to the book. The first section, Ephesians 1 through 3, deals primarily with doctrine. The second part, Ephesians 4 through 6, deals primarily with culture or the culture of the believer. The first part of Ephesians 1 verses of 1 chapters 1 through 3 deals primarily with a, a, a position and role of us in Christ as believers. The second part, Ephesians 4 through 6, deals primarily with practices and responsibilities of the believer. The first part of Ephesians deals primarily with who we are in Christ. The second part deals primarily with what we do for Christ, how we live like, how we look like. And there's almost a perfect symmetry to this book. Now, why in the world do I share this with you? (laughs) Do I share this with you just to nerd out on you and share with you Bible history and the book of Ephesians? Kind of, because I like the Bible. But other than that, I think it's important for us to know context. It's important for us to have perspective. When we pick up in Ephesians 5, Paul has already put pen to paper and written about doctrine. He's written about roles and position as a believer of who we are in Christ. And he's moved on to the practices and the responsibilities of a believer, of how we look like and how we ought to live. And so Paul kind of shows up in Ephesians chapter 5, you know, kind of busts onto the scene as Paul was known for doing. He was not shy. And Paul makes a seemingly bold, the seemingly audacious statement. He says, be imitators of God. We just read it. Be imitators of God. And hearing this, we're like, well, how are we supposed to do that? You know, God is God. We clearly are not, right? God is perfect. We, on the other hand, are flawed, right? God is infinite. We are finite. Uh, God is everlasting. Our lives here on earth are temporary. We all have an expiration date. God is omniscient. What does that mean? It means he's all-knowing. Most days, I can't remember where I put my keys. Anyone else? We had to get that key finder thing at our house. It saved our life and a lot of arguments. God is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. Most days, I can't get through it if I don't have at least a little nap, right? God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at once. I can walk into a room and not remember why I walked in there to begin with. Any of you know what I'm talking about? That's called aging. How are we supposed to imitate God? But see, keep reading the book, keep watching the movie. Paul goes on to say, be imitators of God as beloved children. Ah, okay. He's saying the way we ought to uh, imitate God is as a child imitates their mother and their father. I have three beautiful daughters. Uh, My oldest daughter is now 20 I have no idea how that happened. Like yesterday, she was a newborn, and I blinked, and now she is 20 years old. How many of you parents know what I mean? It flies by really fast. But my oldest is 20. My middle will be 17 next week. My youngest is 11. Nevertheless, I can still vividly recall them as babies in my arms. 
right? I think that's just kind of part of being a parent. And I can still pristinely remember uh, holding Olivia in my arms, and I can remember the first time I smiled at her, and she smiled back at me and, like, imitated me. And you remember these special moments. And I'm like, Kim, Kim, come quick. Olivia's smiling at me. And, and Kim comes sprinting into the room, racing into the room. As soon as she gets next to me, Olivia stops smiling. I think almost as if to let us know what the teenage years will look like. You know what I mean? Kind of just give us a heads up. But when Paul says, be imitators of God, ultimately he's saying the same way a child imitates her father and mother, so we ought to imitate God and the things of God. Now, this word imitate is taken from the Greek word mimetes, mimetes. And uh, this word actually is where we get the English word mimic, or to imitate, or to emulate. And this word is used seven times in the New Testament, five times specifically by the Apostle Paul. But every time it's used, it's used in this context. It's used in this setting to imitate God or to emulate Jesus or to uh, uh, emulate the things of God in our life. It's used in this setting. Now, when I think of this word imitate uh, growing up, I have uh, kind of mixed emotions. Uh, I have mixed feelings, kind of a mixed bag. Because on one side of the coin... When I think of imitating or being imitated, I think of my sister, my older sister, annoying me, copying me everything I did just to, just to drive me crazy. Any of you have older siblings, right? Or you have kids and you watch this happen. And I still find it fascinating how perhaps the most uncreative, unintelligent form of like annoyance can drive you crazy as all my sister had to do was copy me. I'm like, Lisa, give me that book. Lisa, give me that book. Give me the book. Give me the book. Mom, Lisa's copying me. You know, Mom, Lisa's copying. It still makes my skin crawl today. It drove me crazy. But it drives you nuts just, just, just when they copy you. So, so on one side of the coin, I have like, like this mixed emotion, kind of a stigma when I think of the word imitate. On the other side, I have fond memories. Because I think growing up as kids, we often imitate our favorite athletes, or our favorite artists, or our favorite musicians. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone into my youngest daughter Lainey's room, and she's dressed up like Elsa, singing, let it go, let it go, right? Can't hold her back anymore. And we as parents, after the 200th time, are like, no, you let it go. You know, let it go already. Darn you, Disney. You know what I mean? But they're catchy songs. They are. But I did the same thing when I was growing up. I had the music groups, and I had uh, the different musicians that, that I liked. Uh, and this is a safe place, right? I, I can be honest. You won't judge me. Kind of embarrassing. But, <laughs> but one of the music groups I loved growing up was none other than the new kids on the block. Come on, any of you remember new kids on the block? Yeah, Danny, Donnie, Joe, John, Jordan. Oh, yeah, I knew every single one. That's humiliating, actually, that I know that. That's sad. That's been like three decades. And if you don't know who, <laughs> if you don't know who new kids on the block are, just think, you know, NSYNC or Backstreet Boys are kind of all the same group, I think. <laughs> 
but I love the new kids on the block. How about Millie Vanilli? Remember Millie Vanilli? Blame it on the rain. And what was so funny is while you were imitating them, they were imitating the people who really sang the song. Remember that? That whole scandal? Nevertheless, the, the athlete that I remember imitating the most, man, the athlete I remember wanting to be the most was none other than the Michael Jordan. Come on. I wanted to be like Mike. Come on. Why? Because Michael is the GOAT. And don't go trying to bring LeBron or Kobe into the conversation. They're great. Michael is the greatest. And don't go try. Sometimes people will say like, oh, Kareem. I'm like, just get out of the conversation. You know, that, that's, not, that's not even funny. You know, Michael is the greatest. He's, he, he's the GOAT. He clearly is. And every single time I would go to the park to shoot hoops, it might have looked like I was shooting hoops by myself, but in my mind, it was 5v5, a packed stadium at the United Center, and I was Michael Jordan. Come on. I wanted to shoot like Michael Jordan, hold my follow-through like Michael Jordan, have my tongue hanging out of my mouth. Come on, like Michael Jordan. I wanted to be like Mike. And evidently, I wasn't the only one as Gatorade came out with their Be Like Mike campaign. You remember that? As you had people of all ages and backgrounds singing like Mike. I want to be like Mike. I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Remember that? I still remember that. And I wanted to be like Mike. And evidently, if we just drink Gatorade, we'd be like Mike. Didn't happen that well for me, but I believed it at the time. I wanted to be like Mike. Now, this might come as a total shock to some of you, uh, but I never did make it to the NBA. I know, I know. You're like, really? I would have thought. Yeah, daily, I people ask me, hey, by chance, did you play in the NBA? I'm like, no. <laughs> I know, total shocker. But, uh, but I definitely wanted to be like Mike. When Paul says be imitators of God, ultimately what he's saying is the same way a child imitates their mother and father, the same way I wanted to be like Mike. We ought to try to be like Jesus. Does this mean we will be perfect? No. Does this mean our lives are a bit of a mess? You bet. Does this mean we'll fall short every day? Nevertheless, may we make it our aim to shine his light, to share his love, and to show his grace to those around us. That's what it means to be imitators of God, to try and be like Jesus. You might find it fascinating how this uh, word Christian that we use every day, how this word Christian came about. As you study church history, you discover that this name, this term Christian was not necessarily a name given to the church by the church, but it was a name given to the church more or less by the world. As the disciples were first called Christians in Acts chapter 11, and it was when they were in Antioch. And what happened is those outside the church would see these disciples, and seeing that they looked and lived so much like Jesus, they actually kind of mistook them for Jesus. Remind you, this is before the days of social media, when everyone knew what was going on. And they would look at the lives, they would look at how they lived, and they'd be like, hey, is, that's one of those Christ ends. That's that's one of those little Christ, which is what the word Christian means. They act, they look, 
They live like Jesus. And still today, our aim, our goal, our purpose ought to be to look and live like Jesus. Do we have it all together? Nuh-uh. Will we fall short? Every day. Are our lives a bit of a mess? You bet. Nevertheless, may we strive to shine his light, to show his love, and to share his grace to those around us. That's what it means to be an imitator of God. Are you hearing me? Touch your neighbor and say, you awake? (laughs) I know it's hot out there. I think the best way we can be imitators of God is to put on Jesus. What does it mean to put on Jesus? Paul said to the church in Rome in Romans 13, 14, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? Ultimately, if you study that out, with those two words put on are a conscious or intentional put on. Meaning the same way a person would put on a hat, the same way a person would put on a coat, the same way a person would put on a sweater, though not today because it's like 150 degrees outside, But we are to put on Jesus. This means when you're driving on I-5 and there's traffic and it's ultimately a parking lot and you're frustrated and you're irritated and you want to go off, you put on Jesus. This means when you've had a long day at work and you're agitated and you're irritated and you're tired, but you have a family waiting for you at home, you put on Jesus. This means when you're about to lose your cool and say something or post something, you know you probably shouldn't, you put on Jesus. That that's ultimately what it means to be imitators of God, that we strive to put on Jesus to the best of our ability. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, he said this. He said, putting on Christ is not one among many jobs a Christian has to do, And it is not a sort of special exercise for the top class. It is the whole of Christianity. He says, Christianity offers nothing else at all. And ultimately, the essence, the foundation of what this whole thing is all about is that we would put on Jesus. Does that mean we'll be perfect? Not a chance. Does that mean we'll fall short every day? Does that mean our lives are still a mess? You better believe it. Nevertheless, may we make it our aim to shine his light, to show his love, and to share his grace to those around us. Amen? So Paul said, be imitators of God, and he says, as beloved children. So not just as children, but beloved children. Say beloved. That word beloved is taken from the Greek word uh, agapetos, and it's from the root word agape. Perhaps you've heard that word before. Uh, The word agape is a God kind of love. It's a perfect love, an unfailing love. It's a deep love. It's a devoted love. And it's almost as if Paul is reminding us, you are loved. That before we can ever imitate God or even try to display Jesus, it's vital and pertinent that we know we are loved children of God. That we first must know who we are and whose we are. Why? Because who you are will always set into motion what you do. And it's important for us to know who we are, that we are loved by God. 
And I've come with good news for you today, and that is you and I are loved by God. And nothing we could ever do can change that. God's love for you is perfect. There's nothing you could ever do to make him love you more. There's nothing you could ever do to make him love you less. His love for you is already perfect. Well, Matt, you, you, you don't know my, my story, man. You, you don't know my life. You, you don't know what happened. Uh, you, don't, you don't know what I did last year. You don't know what I did last night. No, I don't. But I know what Jesus did once and for all on the cross. And when Jesus declared it is finished, he was not just referring to his life here on earth, but to the power of sin and darkness over your life and my life. Listen, stop trying to achieve what you can only receive, and that is the love of God. God loves you. He loves me. He loves us with a perfect love, and nothing we could ever do can change that. No matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, God loves you with a perfect love. So smile. This is good news. Amen. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. And then he kind of tells us how. He says, and walk in love as Christ has loved us. He said, walk. A church for walking. Walking in love. Notice the intentional word use of Paul. He doesn't say sprinting in love. As sprinting perhaps would be far more spectacular, but short-lived. He says walking. Uh, In a few weeks, God willing, the 2020 Summer Olympics will begin in 2021. Fingers crossed it might be 2029 before we get these things off the ground. But if you're anything like me, you'll find yourself glued to the television set watching sports and events you ordinarily would care nothing about, right? It's like I could care less about swimming, but for three weeks, I'm like a devoted, avid fan of swimming. Isn't it true? We think of Michael Phelps every four years, don't we? But one of the sports I love to watch is track and field. And one of the events I love to watch is sprinting. And I love watching sprinters. They are prolific athletes. And did you know that some of the world's fastest sprinters could run the 100-meter dash in under 10 seconds? I can't even get out of bed in 10 seconds. They could run 100 meters in less than 10 seconds. I mean, that's fast. That means if you're watching the event and you step out of the room for a moment and it begins, you're going to miss the entire event. That's how fast they can run. But Paul doesn't say sprint in love, though that's spectacular and short-lived. He says walk in love. Walk in love. And watch this. To the first century world, they knew exactly what he meant. Remember, context matters. What did it mean? When they saw this word walk, they knew it meant to live. For walking was living. To walk was a way of life. So ultimately, when Paul is saying walk in love, he's saying make loving people around you a way of life. Make loving the people around you a lifestyle. 
Well, why is that so hard? Have you ever met people? Seriously, have you ever met a people? People can be really hard to love. Some of the hardest people for me to love are the people who ignore the 15 items or less sign at the grocery store. Is there anybody else? Oh, yeah, you know who you are. You won't look at us in the grocery store as you look down in shame. You know. I mean, I realize not all of us are mathematicians, but anyone knows the difference between 15 and 150. Come on. 15 items or less people. People can be hard to love. I told you the other day I was driving, and the car in front of me had the uh, bumper sticker that said, Honk, if you love Jesus. You remember that one? I hadn't seen it in like decades. I was like, that's the last one. And, and so we're here at a stoplight, and the, the light turns green. And you know there's different kinds of honks. I, I, I did the real gentle light honk, like, eh, just letting them know it's time. You know, the world's moving. You need to move. And so, uh, dude, flip me the bird. He literally gave me the finger. It said, honk, if you love Jesus. It said, honk, I honk you. Uh. People can be hard to love. People can be rude. People can be disrespectful. People can be insensitive. People can irritate you. People can agitate you. People can frustrate you. Love them Anyways, love them anyways, because Jesus loves you and me anyways. And Paul goes on to say, he says, walk in love as Christ loved us. Watch this. He said, and gave himself as an offering, a sacrifice for us, a sweet aroma to God. Paul likens the way we ought to love people to the sacrifice Jesus gave on the cross. He likens love. He uses the symbolism of the cross to explain to us how we ought to love people, ultimately saying that if there's not a sacrifice involved, it may not even be love. Wow. That's big. See, it's easy to love a friend. It's difficult to love an enemy. It's easy to love a good neighbor. It takes a sacrifice to love your worst enemy. It's easy to love those who compliment you. It's a sacrifice to love those who criticize you. Yet Paul is ultimately saying, love isn't even really love until there's a sacrifice involved, until there's an offering to give, until there's a cross to carry. That's a whole new level of love. And he ends his thought by saying, this kind of love is a sweet aroma to God. Let me close this by sharing this story. Uh, Years ago, a couple decades ago probably, I was picking up a friend uh, from the airport. He was coming into Seattle. He was staying in Tacoma. He'd never been there before. And this was during the time Tacoma had the old paper mill. Do you remember that? It had the old furnace, and it would blow smoke into the air, and it stunk. Do you remember that? I mean, it had this putrid stench. Uh, I don't know what else they were making in there other than paper, but I've never smelled a sheet of paper that smelled quite like that. I mean, it was pretty bad. 
And this whole smell, this whole stench became notoriously known as the aroma of Tacoma. Do you remember that? Well, I had lived here so long, uh, I just had kind of gotten used to it. I just was used to the smell. Well, me and my friend, were driving on I-5. We're talking, we're laughing, having a good time. We get up to Tacoma, <laughs> and my friend, he just kind of stops mid-sentence, just freezes up. <laughs> I still picture it. And he's like, his nose kind of crinkles. <laughs> and he gets this painful, pungent look on his face. And he's like, Matt, was that you? <laughs> and I'm like, what? What do you mean? And he's like, what do I mean? That smell, did you let one loot? Was that you? And I'm like, no, bro, that's Tacoma. <laughs> and he's like, what is a Tacoma and how do we make it stop? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, uh, you're in Tacoma. You can't make it stop. Enjoy your trip. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ah, still remember, hilarious. But see, I share this today because I had lived here so long, I had gotten used to the smell. And I wonder if it's possible that we've been in this world and this world system so long, we've gotten used to the smell. We've gotten used to the stench and the smell of envy, of jealousy, of rage, of racism, of division, of strife, of hate, of lust, etc., etc., etc. And I'm here to tell you the only thing that can turn this world around is the life-changing love of Jesus Christ. And when you and I choose to walk in love, I believe this serves as an aroma not only to God, but a sweet aroma to those around us. And my prayer, my hope for this church, whether people come in and say it's a church for me or not, that doesn't mean as much to me. What matters is that when people come in, they say, I sensed love there. I sensed the love of God because God has a name. And the Bible says God is love. Love isn't just something he does. It's somebody he is. And may we, as followers of Christ, share his love. Are we perfect? Nah. Are our lives a bit of a mess? You better believe it. Will we fall short? Every day. Yet let's make it our aim to shine his light, to share his love, show his grace to those around us. Would you stand up with me and let's just take a moment and pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much that you're here right now. We thank you that you loved us while we were still your enemies, scripture says. We thank you for that love that there's nothing we could ever do that could make you love us more. Lord, Lord, religion lies to us and it tells us to try to earn this, to try to work for this, to try to deserve this but we can't work and earn something you freely give, and that's your grace. And I pray for every person here, if you're here and maybe you're far from God, 
maybe you need to come back to him. I, I don't want to embarrass you, but if that's just you, just slip your hand up and right back down. I see you. I see you. I see you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes. Just in your own way, just pray, Jesus, I come to you. I give you my life. I give you it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, I give it all to you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for me and was raised up. And I believe in you. Thank you for believing in me. Before Pastor Stu comes up here to close us off, I want to take a moment and I just want to pray for us as a church that we would be a church of people walking in love, that we would walk in love and that we would trust God in this season that the people he sends here, that we would show love to them. Lord, I just pray that we would be a church and a people to walk in your love. We thank you that you love us, that you gave your life for us, and we just thank you, Jesus, for all you are, for who you've been, and we make a decision today, Lord, by faith sometimes to love people. We thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.